0: So my wife loves birds, and we have bird feeders all around our property, our home here in Castro Valley, and it's just delightful to see these little birds come flying in and and eat, uh, eat the little bird seed that she puts out. She was out there this morning putting more bird seed in these bird feeders, and it's just fun. She loves birds, but there are some rats that know about the bird feeders. And we've lately had rats coming to visit these bird feeders. And it's become a little bit of a game to us because, you know, the rats love the bird seed too. And I don't know, uh, they're little creatures. They're just trying to make a living and survive too, I guess. And, uh, And I'm not too worried about it, although, you know, they're a little annoying. They feel a little creepy to have rats around, you know. I don't mind them outside. If they get in the house, it's a little different story, I guess. I've had that problem before too. But nevertheless, these little rats come around. And uh, this morning, you know, my wife's standing there at the window looking out. Oh, there's a couple more rats. And, you know, I just say, ah, you know, leave them alone. They're having fun out there, you know. I mean, why be so bothered about rats? And so so now it's kind of a little game. We're kind of enjoying. Now, I've trapped the rats. I've tried to trap rats, and I haven't done very well at this actually. And I'm not telling this story so that I can get 500 emails about how to take care of rats on my property. I'm really not. It's just sort of a joke. But but the point is, in fact, I put peanut butter on the little trigger of the rat trap, and I went out the other morning, and all the peanut butter was gone, and the trap was not sprung. I said, this is a delicate procedure for a rat to lick all that peanut butter off. And never put enough pressure to trap the rat. Well, anyway, the rats are smart, I guess. I don't know. But the point is this. Sometimes, you know, life, we, we let the rats kind of ruin the good stuff that's happened in our lives. 98% of the time, the birds are there just enjoying themselves, having a great time. But 2% of the time, there's these rats that come in. And they bother us. We don't like it. And This is the way life is. The book of Ecclesiastes is telling us that there's a lot of weird things that happen in life. There's a lot of unpredictability that happens in life. And yet, there's so much good in life. And this is, we come to this text this morning, this amazing section of this book that reveals us something quite amazing and actually fun. It brings the reader to see the value of not despairing of life even when rats show up. But instead, choosing to enjoy it. You know, we have this little thing that hangs by the door as you walk out of our house every day. There's a little sign. My wife put it there. It says, Look for the good. I like that. Look for the good. There's so much in life. If, we, if you look for the bad, if you look for things that are troubling, you're going to find it so well. And the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us of that, it's everywhere. But today, as sort of a counterbalance and sort of a different view, the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us to see that there's something about life that ought to be very, very good and we ought to enjoy our lives. In fact, some of us really need this reminder today, or at least our faces should be reminded, that joy is a good thing. Some of us look so glum and sad over the crazy stuff that happens in our lives and in this world, and the book of Ecclesiastes offers a very simple antidote to this often often awful and terrible realities of life here and now. It's called enjoyment. It's called enjoyment. Your pastor today is going to teach you that this passage before us and several others here in the book of Ecclesiastes commands us to enjoy our lives. Do you enjoy your life? Even when the rats show up? I know that as soon as I say this, some of you are thinking, well, hey, you don't know how many rats I've got. Just follow the metaphor. You don't know how hard my life is. You don't know the problems that I'm facing in my life. You don't know that. And you're right, I don't. But God does. And God understands today that there's something that you need to lean into for your own life. And that is that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, the beautiful thing for the Christ follower is, is that we can still have joy in the midst of all the rats. This is the beautiful thing about following Christ. You know, if you were a not, not a Christian and you heard this message, uh, or if there was a non-Christian telling you to enjoy your life, even though there's a lot of problems going in your life, uh, you know, it could just be a, a feel-good message, but th- the Bible doesn't tell us to just feel good, the Bible tells us to choose good. The Bible tells us that we can choose to rejoice. We can choose to be thankful. And that's because we serve a God that is sovereign over all things in our lives. And even when the rats are driving us crazy, we can rejoice in the Lord. We're going to learn that this morning. So with that in, as sort of a setup here today, and the way we're going to do this, let's, let's read through the text, and then I'm going to explain where, how we'll do this. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise... And what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked. The good and the bad. The clean and the unclean. Those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good men, with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men... Moreover are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward and even the memory of them is forgotten, their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. All right? Well, this is an amazing text. It really is. And I want to just start by looking at a couple of observations that the critic. Gives to us, if you're taking notes, a thoughtful person realizes a couple things about life. First, trying to understand why certain things happen is often a waste of time. Have you ever discovered that? Trying to figure it out, trying to understand why things happen just doesn't always work out. His reflection, verse 1, about all this stems from a previous paragraph. Look at chapter 8, verse 17. Verse 17, it says, No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Why is life the way it is sometimes? Why do sick people, some sick people, get well and others don't? Why did my girlfriend break up with me? Why did my husband leave me for another woman? Why are my kids pushing me to the limit? Why did I get the ticket on my way to work today? Why was my co-worker given the promotion and not me? Why did it rain on my graduation party? Why does my neighbor not like me? Why am I struggling to make ends meet? Why? Why do my parents divorce? Why are my kids driving me crazy? Why does my child have this crazy disease? why, why? Why? We ask this question all the time. There are a million questions that we ask like this. But here, the writer, the critic says, don't waste your time on this. It's the wrong question. Why? Because you'll never figure it out. In fact, some people think they've figured it out, but they're probably kidding themselves. Look at verse 17, the end of verse 17 of chapter 8. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. So there's always people that come along and say, hey, I've figured it out. By the way, this is a good verse that rebuts those who come along after our misfortune and tell us why it happened. Be very careful about offering to someone the reason why bad things have happened to them, even if you're trying to help. I've learned in my own life enough that oftentimes that just makes a person more sour and more dour over what they've gone through even when you're trying to help someone out, giving them a reason is oftentimes not a good idea. And this is why. Because the Bible says you really don't know. You think you know, but you don't. Another thing that thoughtful people discover, and this is what the critic brings out, is not only is it impossible to know the meaning of things that happen in our lives, but it's also Impossible to control the things that happen. Trying to control the outcome of your life is basically impossible, the critic says. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan, work hard to keep our lives in the fair way and out of the rough, but ultimately, we simply don't have a lot of control over much of our lives, if really anything in our lives. In fact, it tells us in verse 1 there again that. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. This is a way of saying we really don't know whether the outcome of our lives will be good or bad. Now, I know that that can be very discouraging, but this is what what the writer is setting us up for. This is what I call the setup of this passage because we're being reminded here that life uh, is just difficult to understand and impossible to control, and if that's where some of us are today, we know very well that we may feel this way. It's an understatement because some of us got the best education, but we found a mediocre job. We wonder why that happened. We work hard to stay in shape, but now we're diagnosed with cancer. We've planned for retirement, but the investment that we put are, you know, are the investments that we made have turned upside down. Uh, You've raised your children to love God in an atmosphere of praise where Christ was in the center and now one or two or whatever of your adult children are really not following the Lord. And you kind of bang your head against the wall and you say, I I don't understand this. Why can't I control this? Why can't I make this different? Why can't I make this change? And the critic is saying, stop worrying about it and instead of trying to figure it out and instead of trying to have control over it, why don't you just enjoy The moment you're in. That's what this text is saying. Which leads us to the second, this is a little section now in in this little part of the book where where not only the critic is making some observations, but he's going to adjust those observations to a couple of important realities that we've already seen in the book, but they bear repeating to set us up for what, what I'm calling the good stuff of this passage is, and that is, we find out that there's this randomness that everyone experiences in life. And remember a couple weeks ago, we said that this randomness comes to us, and but it's an apparent randomness. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. But this this first reality is that randomness that everyone experiences in life, randomness. What looks like things that are random are really not random to God, but they certainly are to us. And the second reality is that all people will one day die. And verses 2 and 3 of this passage talks about this again. This is one of the recurring themes throughout the whole book. And I know it feels a little depressing to us. But this is, this is really important. Because the Bible says that if you don't contemplate the reality of death, uh, you're really actually on the pathway of death. I'll show you that right here. It says what is true for the righteous and the wicked. It says in verse 2, Verse 3, this is true for good people and those we consider bad, both the good and the bad. And this is true for those who observe religious orders and those who don't, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices, those who do not, as it is with the good man, so with the sinner, and as those who take oaths and those who are afraid to take them. The climax of all this, verse 3a, this is the evil in, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. Which brings us really to what this text is wanting to show the reader, and that is in verses three b through the end of this section, verse ten. This presents two paths that every person on the planet are on. The first path is the no, is what I call the path of death, and the other path is the path of life. But before we get to that point, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there quickly back to the Old Testament. You're in the Old Testament. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. It's good to hear pages turning or if you're clicking away on your little smartphone or whatever you've got your Bible app open on, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And here we find what follows in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, a similar thing to what we see God speaking to the children of Israel through Moses where he says in verse 15 of chapter 30, see, I set before you today I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Drop down to verse 19. This day I will call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Two paths, two outcomes, a choice you make. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes and see here in chapter 9 that some people choose to stay on a path known as death. Now, I've inserted those words as I was going through my notes. I want to make this a little more clear. Some choose to stay on the path known as death. We don't choose the path known as death because actually we're all born on the pathway of death. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are all literally, sounds weird, but we are born dead people. We are born dead in our spirit with God. We need to be made alive. This is the beauty of the gospel. We need to be made alive. And notice in verse 3 that on this path, the people that choose the path of death, it says... In verse 3, at the end of verse 3, the hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil and, that there is, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. This is a path marked by self-destruction and madness. And I don't want to read too much into this text, but I think the simple rendering of it shows us the idea of people in our natural state are in what the Bible calls moral depravity means we do not choose the things of God. We do not want God. We are trapped in this prison cell of death. Humanity has an incessant bent on rebelling to God and doing things its own way. And this is the way all of us lived before we came to the place where by God's grace and mercy we were shown the love of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of all of our lives. There is madness and and evil in our hearts before God shows up and reveals to us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful that God in His mercy has revealed to me, and I hope you feel the same way that God has revealed to you your need for life and that there is a way to get off this path of death and all the madness and self-destruction that you're choosing in your life before God reveals to you your need. And don't forget, don't forget, that this is describing not people who are shooting up a mall or shooting up heroin, but people who are often respectable and morally clean in the relative sense, but are just as spiritually dead as anyone through who a casual refusal to bend their knee to the Lordship of Christ is. Until or unless we've come to the place in our lives where we would see Jesus and give Him our lives and trust Him to forgive our sins and to give us cleansing and to give us new life, we are on this pathway of destruction. Now, the the amazing thing about this is that You have to be truly crazy to bypass the gracious offer of God to pardon your sin and grant you the righteousness that can only be given through Christ. But the world looks at us and thinks we're crazy for following Christ. But it's the other way around. It is is morally crazy to denounce the beautiful gift of a living God who has given us access to him through faith. People think we're crazy for living for God, but the fact of the matter is it's the other way around. You're crazy if you don't. And so you might be sitting here today. I don't know who's with us. If you've never come to the place of seeing your need for Christ, your need for forgiveness of sins, then by God's grace we are praying that he would open your eyes today to see that he is all you need. And that if you know him, if you have him Not because you went to church a million times or because you were a religious person, but if you had him because you gave him your heart by faith, you trusted in his gift of life, that he died for you, that it was his death for your life. And until that happens in your life, you're still on this pathway of death. And it's our prayer, it's our prayer every week that God would bring people to see their need for him. So this is a path marked by self-destruction and madness. It's also a path, notice verse 4, taken by the most powerful among us. A reference here to the dead lion is merely a picture of the king of the jungle. (laughs) A live chihuahua is better than a dead lion because even though he's the king of the jungle, right? I mean, because the the live chihuahua is alive. I mean, that's a, a weird illustration, but you know, I think about, I thought about this, a memory I had a few years ago, several years ago, I was visiting Beijing, and I went to the tomb of Mao Zedong, who was, you know, the chairman uh, of the Socialist Party of China. Died in 1976, and in 1977, they placed his body in state in a mausoleum in Beijing, right in Tiananmen Square, where literally millions of people file through, thousands of people every day. I stood in a line that was, it seemed like it was hours just to experience this, and went through this circuitous, you know, line, 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 people selling, vendors selling flowers and people weeping and i mean this was in 19, i don't know 2007 2008 and i'm thinking this guy's been dead for over 35 years people are still weeping there's and they go by and they look at him in this crystal coffin and there he is still preserved he's been dead almost 40 years he's there today in Tiananmen Square his body is there i should say and this got me thinking, I thought, wow, you know, if you look this up on the internet, there are five great world leaders that lie in state, even though they've been dead for decades. And the people come by and look at them. And I thought, wow, you know, all these people in line. I remember going through the line and walking by Mao Tung and seeing him and thinking to myself, wow, here was a, a, a world leader, someone that was certainly accused, rightfully so, of, of uh, uh, terrible atrocities and death and all the rest. But venerated, and and I don't understand all of what that is all about, but I think to myself, all these people in this line, we've got something that Mao Zedong doesn't have. We have life. What are we doing with our lives? This is what the writer is saying. He's saying, what are you doing with your life? This is why every time you go to a funeral, it should cause you to realize that you are on a, a pathway and that there's something that should remind us of the importance of investing our lives. Notice also that this path is often blinds people from seeing what's really coming. Verses five and six seems to indicate that there is madness in the heart of a person who's on this pathway of death, which blinds them from what what they don't see coming, that suddenly their lives will crash down and all around them, and and then there they are before their judge. And have they prepared? Have you prepared? Are you ready to meet? The judge of judges. And that's what this book has been kind of pointing us through all the way through. So there's these people that that, that choose to stay on the path of death. And I hope that if there's anyone here today that is on the path of death, that you would today, by faith, choose to get off that path and choose the life that Jesus has for you. That's my prayer which shows that there are other people on this path known as life. In verses 4a, 5a, 7 through 10, that death isn't the only path, praise God. There is in this text the fleshing out of this beautiful picture of a, a life path. And notice in verse 4 that this path is marked by hope. And that verse 5 informs us of our mortality unlike the way of those on the path of death this path is always reminding the traveler of what's coming we know that death is coming we know that our lives will someday soon perhaps be finished here and and then we stand before God and so the pathway of life is a a life that is always informing us of our mortality and and we take stock in that we lean into that we're not afraid of that we embrace that And this is a path where life-giving things should be experienced, verses 7 through 10. And this is where we want to just take some beautiful moments and look at what the writer is telling us here about enjoyment in life. Verse 7, go and eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. I want to talk about characteristics of those who are on the, the path of life and the importance of enjoying your life. And the command that God's giving us to enjoy our lives. So, if you're taking notes, here we go. This is what I call the good stuff of the passage because this is where, to me, it all sort of lifts our eyes to see that no matter how many things we're dealing with in life, for the follower of Jesus, we can enjoy our lives. And notice he says, first of all, there should be gladness of heart, verse 7. Everybody say that with me gladness of heart. I heard someone once say that often Christians look like they are people who have been weaned on a dill pickle. I say that different times, but we often look sullen, grave, unhappy. You know, when I was a kid, I learned a little chorus that said, if you're happy and you know it, then your face should surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, praise the Lord. That was a little chorus we used to sing. You remember that chorus? And I think sometimes we forget that God wants us to go through life with a a spirit of joy. God wants us to enjoy our lives. God wants us to find joy in our lives. And did you know that it's a command to be joyful? Philippians 4.4, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, what? Rejoice twice in one verse. We should rejoice in the Lord. Now, this is what's beautiful. This is what makes this kind of talk different than a a self-help talk that you might get at a business convention where people are just trying to rev you up on something. Because for the Christ follower, the reason why we can take joy in our lives is that no matter how many rats we're dealing with in life, we can choose joy because there's something outside of the stuff that we're frustrated with that we know is bigger and grander and has more beauty behind it. And that's why the writer here is saying, look, it's not just an option to choose joy. It's the thing that for some of us is a game changer for our lives. We can choose joy to be a game changer in our lives, the way we, are, uh, the way we deal with our problems, the way people perceive us. 1 Chronicles sixteen ten says, "Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice." Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Psalm five eleven says, "Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing. Let them ever sing for joy." There should be something in our hearts that say, "I'm going to choose joy because I know how great my God is, and I can choose that joy with gladness and joyful." Uh, joyfulness in heart the, the festivals of Israel were designed by God for the, God's people to come into his presence and to experience joy when we gather together as God's people there should be joy and I'm so grateful as I look around this morning I see the faces of many of you that I know very personally. And so many of you just communicate such a joy in your heart. I appreciate it so much. It's, a, it's often a great inspiration to me to see joy. Thank you for any of you who just always seem to have a smile, always seem to have joy in your hearts. And when you gather around Christian people, there ought to be a lot of laughter and a lot of joy. And I love experiencing that with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a beautiful thing to experience joy. And that's why when we come together as God's people, there should be joy. Even when you're talking about death. Even when you're talking about the hard things of life. This is what makes us different as a people. That we can choose joy even when life is really hard. Even when there are things in life that don't seem to be going well for us. Someone we love has cancer. Someone we love is out of work or we're out of work or we have cancer or we have a situation in our lives. Our family life might be difficult or our we may be struggling with some habit that we think as a Christian we should not have and we're you know living inside of that and we're not telling anyone about it, we're trapped in this. And some of us realize the power and the beauty of experiencing gladness of heart and choosing right in this moment. I can't understand everything in life. I can't control everything in life. So I'm going to choose to enjoy my life. And that is not unspiritual. That's commanded. This is what God tells us to do. Secondly, notice we should experience the simple pleasure of food and drink. Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. The the beautiful, simple pleasure of food and drink. Eating and drinking is a part of the good life that the critic says to enjoy, even though life sometimes seems random and unpredictable. What's your favorite meal? Think about that. Is it a triple in and out, you know, whatever, animalized? You know, maybe for some of us, that's our favorite meal. You know, now personally, I, th- I think of things like steak, shrimp, you know, smoked salmon. Those are my favorites. I just love that kind of stuff. And, and yet, the beautiful thing is it's, it's even more than the meal. It's, it's the setting. It's, it's realizing the simple pleasure of eating with friends or eating a meal with someone that you love. Joy, enjoy it. This is a part of life. It's a beautiful thing. And you should take those opportunities. A few weeks ago, I had a couple of my uh, buddies up in the mountains. We were backpacking. I, I think I just briefly mentioned it one Sunday. It was, it was the terrible weather weekend in June, you know, where it snowed at 5,000 feet. We were at 9,000 feet. You know, it was snowing. It was raining. It was just a cold, kind of a bitter time. Uh, but we had a great time together. And we, you know, survived three, three grown men in a two-man tent. It was a beautiful experience. Um... <laughs> But you know we're we're eating dinner the second night. We were there for two nights, and the second night, you know, we're we're you know we're hungry. We're guys, you know, and you 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 pack light because we you know we had kind of a lot of distance and elevation, and and so we're pulling out these freeze dried meals, you know, and we've got like the spicy chicken and the, you know, we've got our little fajitas, and we're trying to make all this stuff. And then one guy says, "I've got dessert. I've got like a freeze dried uh, uh, cheesecake." You know, we're like. Yay! You know, let's get that out, and we're, we're putting all this out. And you know, honestly, the food, it was okay, but it was such a beautiful meal because we were with each other. It was a great experience. I can think of meals with family, meals with loved ones in places, in my office, in, in, in a home, in, in, in my home, in places where there's just a beautiful sense of being together with someone that you love. And God says, enjoy that. You should enjoy it. Number three, in verse seven, doing good for others. And there's this inference here in verse seven. It says, uh, for it is now that God favors what you do. The focus there is there are things that you can do that God will favor. Go back to chapter three, Ecclesiastes three, verse 12. It says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. Be happy and to do good while they live. This is a part of the good life too. Doing good for others brings such joy in our lives. Some of us are so concerned over ourselves, we rarely do for others. And if you really want to experience the good life, you've got to get outside of yourself and actually start serving and helping others. And you'll find that that becomes such a joy. I I talk to people that serve in our Cross Streets ministry. In fact, I meant to, oh, I forgot to just print a little thing that someone had sent me recently that said just, over and over. Thank you. Thank you for doing cross streets. Thank you for the food pantry. My wife and I have been serving in there. We love it so much. Just to see people's faces turn when they come up out of their hard lives and there's a meal set before them or there's a shower giving them an opportunity to, to clean and cleanse their bodies or thank you for just providing and they're just going, they're heaping all this joy on me. And I'm thinking, wow, look at this person. They're just lit up with joy. They're so thankful. They're so excited Why? Because they're serving others. And a lot of times, the reason why the Christian community is a little, you know, we we pick at each other and we complain about stuff and we argue about stuff in the Christian culture a lot is because we're, we're not doing what Jesus told us to do. We're not serving and bringing good to other people's lives. Because if that would start happening more readily in our lives, we'd stop the bickering, we'd stop complaining as much, we'd stop you know kind of the, the Christian gossip that's around, and we would just find the joy in serving other people. The happiest people in this church, I think, are the people that are serving with a glad heart. And thank you, all of you. That's why I often just when I see people serving, I say thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and they're like, get over you know. Hey, we're you don't need to. Th- we're happy to be here serving. That's a beautiful thing. What good are we bringing to others? Doing good for others. Number four, personal dignity, verse 8. This is is fun. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Uh, This is a picture of someone where God says, Look, it's important to have some personal dignity. Dressing up once in a while. Getting a haircut that you like. You know, trimming the beard down a little bit. You know, just sometimes that can make you feel a lot different in your life. And it's okay. It's all right. It's okay to kind of dress up a little bit if you like to do that. It's okay to have some self-dignity. You know, my mom, I bless her heart, I just thought about this as I was thinking through this message. My mom was a woman of, of just such class. My mother-in-law is the same way. Dear Mary, she's sitting right back there. Just always, you know, it doesn't matter what, I mean, she could be out in the garden. She just looks beautiful, you know. I mean, that's, that's a person who recognizes that it's okay to be dignified. There's something about that. We can choose that. It's very popular in our culture to be everything but that, you know. It's almost like we want the look of grunge and, you know, unkeptness or whatever. It's just like, it's a trait in our culture. And here the Bible says that there should be some personal uh, dignity in your life. And and it, it is something that we should enjoy. You know, I have to admit, you know, I... I'm less and less hair on my my head these days, but after I get a haircut, I feel pretty good. You know, I'm I'm like you know, cleaned up a little bit, and it just it feels okay. It feels good. It's like the Bible says right here: enjoy that. Get a new hairstyle, buy a new dress, you know, get a new pair of pants. Do something that will kind of give you a. I there's a lot of weird stuff happening. I'm noticing right now as people are, you know, <laughs> don't. Don't be nudging the person next to you. Verse 9. Marriage. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. (laughs) You know, that. The context here is is recognize the people you're around, the loved ones you're around. They're gifts. They're gifts. Love your spouse. Love your kids. Go out. Have fun. Give. Share. Sacrifice. Surprise each other. Love unconditionally. Life is short. Live like it's your last day with the people you love. You know? Do we live that way? Do we really? I admit, I often don't. I'm commanded here. Choose joy. Choose to enjoy. Here's a fun one. You'll love this one, verse 9. And work. (gasps) Yes, we can enjoy our work. One of the reasons we can enjoy work is that it keeps us busy and productive. And when we work unto the Lord, our work takes on new meaning. Whatever your livelihood, you can do it to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? We should choose to work. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25, just back a few chapters. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This is a gift from God. This is from the hand of God. For without him, verse 25, chapter 2, for without him who can find enjoyment? Who can eat and find enjoyment. We need the Lord. You know, some people are just quite satisfied. You know, I don't need the Lord. I've got a good life. Well, guess what? It could be a lot better. The Lord makes everything better. And that's not an incentive. It's like, well, don't come to the Lord just so your life gets better. You have to come to the Lord because you desperately need life. You don't have life until you come to the Lord. Money and possessions. Verse. Uh, uh, this is not in chapter... Uh, 9, actually, if you go back to chapter 5, I'm going to borrow from chapter 5, verse 19. Then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of the life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. Verse 20, he seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Isn't that good? Money and possessions. Nothing wrong with enjoying things here. Nothing wrong with things that we can afford. As long as you're not cheating God, as long as you're being faithful to God, you have a hobby you like, it's okay. Don't feel guilty. You enjoy travel, beautiful. You like jewelry, great. You like sports cars, perfect. Antiques, beautiful. Motorcycles, whatever. Don't cheat God. Be faithful to God. But you have these things, don't feel guilty. Enjoy them. <gasps> Why are you so quiet? <laughs> this, is, this is joyful. You've got some stuff. Say, thank you, Lord, for letting me enjoy this in the meaningless life that I have in these meaningless days that you've given me. <laughs> I can enjoy my life. Enjoy your life. Okay. I'm not fishing for applause. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying God wants us to enjoy things. Now, some of us are way out of balance. We're robbing God. It's all about us. We're selfish. These things are idols to us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about seeing them for what they are, rejoicing in them, knowing that one day they're going to all go up in smoke. You're going to leave everything you bought behind. But if you've got things that you enjoy, don't feel like you've got to, you know, put them away, never bring them out, enjoy them. It's okay. Okay. And then lastly, verse 10, stay active. I like this. It says, I've lost my place. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there is neither working or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Stay active. Don't slow down. Next week we're going to talk about don't waste your life. And boy, I've got some stories for you next week. You've got got this little window of time. How much time do you have? We don't know. It's unpredictable. I don't know the meaning of life and I don't know how my life's going to end. God's given me this little sliver and he says, I've given you this little sliver and here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to enjoy it. Enjoy it with me. Enjoy it with me in the center of your life. John Piper, he coined the phrase Christian hedonism, <laughs> Christian hedonism, which essentially says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. The Westminster Confession says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is what it was the heart of the most This is what is at heart in even the most fatalistic book of the Old Testament. A book which asks the reader, what is the meaning of life? And here, nestled in the pages of this book, we are found this beautiful principle of because life can't be figured out, because it's unpredictable, we should choose to enjoy what God has given to us now. Don't let the rats spoil The joy. A true life of joy comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Are you living the abundant life? Stop looking at the rats.